Los Angeles, it's the McShank Podcast on the McCarran Podcast Network. Here's Ryan and Clayton. It's February 21st, 2015. We're in Los Angeles, and this is the second installment of the McShank Podcast on the McCarran Podcast Network, the podcast that James Franco listens to on Sprang Break. <laughs> I'm Ryan McCarran, and joining me as always, Clayton Shank. How are you, Clayton? Oh, I'm fantastic, Ryan, and I, uh, I hope you have on your tights, cape, cowl, any otherworldly kind of colorful costuming. It's time to power up and dissect Marvel Studios and the films that do comprise the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The MCU. Wasn't that what Jack Bauer's thing was, CTU. too? That was CTU. Yeah. Okay, MCU. I, I think it, oh, that Major was Crimes. Dark yeah, that's Knight. Dark Knight. Yeah, Dark Knight. Exactly. Uh, the Dark Knight also had an MCU, <laughs> but uh, we're not focusing on DC. We're focusing all, on all More that is Marvel. Marvel. Because they're in the news. They're timely. They're always doing something interesting and newsworthy. I figure it's a it, we figure it's a, it's it's a good enough time as any to really to really kind of go after um not go after but you know talk about the pros and the cons of what they've created because they certainly have I mean for better or for worse changed the way films are are, are made and when they change the way studios think as well. They're a juggernaut. They're box yeah. office gold. They've now reached the point where they're putting out two films a year. And this is new. I mean, this is something that has only really happened there's no other precedent really they're setting their own marks and we've never really seen a studio have this much creative control over what they're doing and have this much constant success at it so with the avengers 2 right around the corner i I think this is a good time to kind of sit down and see what marvel has given us so far what we think of it where we think it's going, our overall assessment of it. Mm-hmm. You know, for all intents and purposes, we'll call 2008 kind of the beginning of this new age in Marvel cinema. We'll call it maybe Iron Man 1 is sort of the first time that maybe the Marvel studio itself took off and everything from there. Because they made other films as well, but not in the way, not with the force that There have been plenty of films based on Marvel characters, but Marvel Studios was, all, was always a co-partner in the effort, whereas John Favreau's Iron Man One really saw them emerge as an independent entity that was capable of achieving the results just by their own bootstraps. Yeah, you know, like they they're running the show; they have all the properties. Well, most of the properties. Yeah, and they're still <laughs> on, in the process of collecting all of them. It seems like they have most of the properties, and so they're really their own. They have nothing but themselves to congratulate or to blame. Yeah. And so if you were to kind of give, let's say, a thesis of where you think Marvel is from this 2008 period up through something like Guardians of the Galaxy, which was their most recent release, where are they now in your estimation? I think it looks, a lot of their films, it reminds me a lot of an EKG. There's a lot of highs, there's a lot of lows, and there's some that kind of in the middle, and they tend to kind of fluctuate like that. There isn't anything there, there. There's been a few that have knocked my socks off, like Iron Man or um, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Or I'm a big fan of the first Captain America film. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some in the middle. Iron Man three, the Avengers, uh, the second Thor movie. I kind of have a bit of a soft spot for, mm. and then as well as some pretty big lows. I think with the Incredible Hulk, Iron Man two, and uh, the first Thor actually. So <laughs> you know, I mean, they they've been relatively uneven, and I think that there are certain things in those films on the high that they could do more of. 
uh, to bring up their overall canon of films, I suppose. Right, right. My whole feeling with Marvel films is uh, my critique of them is very ironic, I think, because I think like comic books in general, I like the idea of Marvel films mm-hmm. more than I actually like Marvel films. Because <laughs> going in, there's a lot to really latch on to, I think. Uh, these are... our almost our mythology this is our mythology this is the 20th century 21st century this is what this is our equivalent to whatever the greek gods and the roman gods mm-hmm. would have been back yeah. then these are our heroes it seems strange to think about that <laughs> it, but it, it kind of is it yeah. kind of is a corollary there and my big issue is i think that like i said it's a somewhat ironic criticism to make but I think most Marvel films, there are exceptions that I really do like. I think they are too similar to comic books. Mm-hmm. They're they're flashy. They're at least enough to get you in. They're but they're also quite flimsy, and I think ultimately disposable. <laughs> I I very rarely walk out of a Marvel film feeling like I have gleaned something meaningful out of it, or I've really had my socks knocked off. You know, I think that most of their efforts are. Are kind are decent, are are average, are serviceable, I would say, but they very very rarely knock me out, and I think that really does tie into their business model, which I think we'll get yeah. into. Yeah, and I they have a tremendous uh, marketing department. I think that's something that you touched on a little bit. It gets you in, you know that. Uh, they they do spend a lot on their trailers. They do make the films seem a lot more exciting and event-driven, which is, I think, the age of Hollywood that we're in right now, which is get butts in the seats the first weekend. It doesn't matter if your film drops 71% the second weekend. Right. And they've kind of honed that and they've mastered it to where it's almost a science now, to where you just know that, I mean, every film since Iron Man has opened at number one. Mm-hmm. Every film they've released since then has opened at number one. They are really just a studio of tent poles. There's not any indie release oh, out of God, Marvel no. Studios. No. I mean, the only thing you can think of is maybe Agents of Shield. I mean, that's right. but, but but they're partnering with somebody else there. Yeah, and, and that's on a more of a it's on a smaller mm-hmm. scale. It's a television. And show they're reaching out to Netflix now. There's going to be a Daredevil show, mm-hmm. and I mean, those you can kind of look at as a little more smaller scale, but. It's all or nothing with Marvel. You know, they only put out huge films, at least $150 million. And I think another thing we're going to get to with relation in regards to the marketing is how brilliant their casting is. Because I think that is one of the real things Marvel can hang their hat on is not only rescuing actors out of obscurity, but also taking actors who we were maybe familiar with and really vaulting them up to a level of superstardom. Yeah, and actually that's my next point we should probably get into that mm-hmm. is that uh outside of really Edward Norton as Bruce Banner as the Hulk really in that movie, um they have just been spot on with their heroes. You know, they have just absolutely nailed everything. Uh even recasting Edward Norton's role with Mark Ruffalo has been a real coup for them in the Avengers as he arguably was probably the best part of the Avengers had, right. had, had, had the biggest character impact in that movie. Let's not remember that this is also the third time Hulk has been yes. cast. And it was, you can tell that I think Norton might be in that same camp as Edgar Wright um, in that the, they, aren't, they aren't really cooperative 
the Marvel Studios, they don't really like to get somebody else who has their own vision. Yeah. Into the you bring movie, in, you bring in Ed Norton. You know what you're getting. I mean, he is you're his getting, character in Birdman. Really, you're getting a guy who's going to take over the movie. Yeah, and he's going to make it the way he wants, and he's going to butt heads with the studios, and he he may be the cause of a lot of sleepless nights. Mm-hmm. Whereas you bring in what seems to be directors for hire, almost with a lot of the movies, either TV directors or these independent movie directors. They they don't have as much leeway or as much clout, you would say, to be able to really run the show on their own. And Marvel maybe feels like they're much more comfortable with that. Uh, they really want the people they bring in to fit into their template. Yeah, they have a they have the process, and I think that what the other directors and writers that they bring in need to fit in with what the Marvel process is, and maybe not necessarily what the director and writer's vision is. Um, but what I interesting, I don't know, you didn't really catch it, but I said they did a great job casting their heroes. Um, you mentioned it a little bit in the top 10 podcast. Well, well that's the thing that. is that's the only thing that I remember. Yeah, absolutely. It's really the only thing that, that you have to hang your hat on, which is the and fact that this is definitely getting back into our top 10 show when you uh, had dropped the guardians of the galaxy into your list where I, I said something at the time that I think might've been a slight over exaggeration. There are more than a couple villains that I could recall that, mm-hmm. that I could, dig up from whatever year they came out of and be like oh that's who that villain was but i think most of them are tragically underwritten and one-dimensional and i quite frankly have trouble grasping who many of them are they just kind of fit into this really weird stew of of almost like you know villains for hire that happen to be the adversary in the movie that that just does not provoke this opposing force that you generally look for in a in a in an above average film yeah and they don't i mean they don't have the same heft as the heroes that they're going against really that and it's so interesting to think about how marvel seems to put so much effort into the world they're creating the costumes the makeup the special effects everything about the world of the film and they have an underwritten villain or they have a villain who is as disposable as the comic books themselves. It doesn't seem to make sense. You'd think that you would want to create a whole world, including the villain as well. So it's strange to me that that is such an oversight for them so frequently. Right. I, before, before we get too heavy into the critiques, I do kind of want to mention a couple of things that do work for me Okay. in all of the Marvel films. Uh, I do think that the casting is typically great. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is one of the most inspired castings of any kind that I can think of in the last 15 years to fill the role of Tony Stark. Uh, he, it wasn't his, it was definitely his breakout movie, but he had comeback movies before that. But kudos to Marvel for really seeing that potential and how Robert Downey Jr. would just become this force at the box office mm-hmm. that you could really just hang your hat on his name alone and get a get a damn good uh, result for, he seemed, for your money. He, he even seems to Im- be embodying that character in other roles as well. It's so, hard to divorce himself from Tony Stark. Yeah. I think he is kind of playing himself in a lot of these cases, right. which works just fine because that's who I want to see when I go see an Iron Man movie. I don't want to see the introverted Robert Downey Jr. No, of course <laughs> not. And I like that he's embraced it too. I mean, he seems to a- appreciate the fans. He seems to really be on board with the idea of this comic book hero and he shows up at events at Comic-Con and he shows up at signings and, you know, for someone to be really into it, 
I think is a really, really neat trait to have that he's not shunning it and like, oh, I'm just playing a role. That's all it is. No, he really gets into it. And I think that that, that also helps the persona of himself and also elevates the character a little bit more as well. And dovetailing off that, it's about time we mentioned the name Tom Hiddleston. Oh, yeah. Because you talk about someone embracing and relishing a role. Mm. He is all in. If this was Texas Hold'em, all his chips would be on the table. Yeah. He, he, he just relishes the role. He brings this theatricality to it and actually a pretty complex characterization, I would argue, without ever really delving into any kind of camp. I, I think he is exactly the this this character that needs to be in the Marvel Universe that's recurring, that shows up in different plot lines, who kind of straddles the line between hero and villain. I mean, he's always bad, but there are some storylines where you can work with him. I mean, yeah. there's like... He's not all bad sometimes. He, he's not all bad. Yeah. I mean, there's there are times when you can team up with him because it's in both of your mutual interest. Uh, but he does play him as this, this like sniveling meddler kind of guy who... You just love to hate, you know. I mean, if, if there's to if there's to make a case that anybody should destroy the Avengers, I think it it's should be him. Someone as charismatic as uh, Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Well, yeah, he plays him. He plays him cheeky. You know, mm-hmm. he he he. You're right. He does. He he toes that line between going too far and just the right amount of camp that these mm-hmm. that this character and these films kind of need. Um, because they're popcorn movies. I mean, they don't need to take themselves so seriously. They don't need to be so serious about things. I think Tom Hiddleston really understands that. He's actually one of the few actors, I think, within the MCU that... Who knows what movie he's in? They know what movie they're in, and they play it exactly the way that, that he should. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, I'd agree with that. And the addition of Chris Pratt to the MCU was uh, pretty spot on, I think. They kind of saw where that train was going and hopped aboard. Now he's getting Indiana Jones talk, and he's going yeah. to be in Jurassic World later this year. He is another guy just full of charisma and just screen appeal who is going to be around with us for quite a while. Uh, I mean, when I look at Chris Hemsworth, I see Thor. I can't think of anyone else alive who was more made to be Thor than Chris Hemsworth. Uh, I just call him Thor in any movie That's he's it. in now. Yeah. Well, Thor's in it. If I, was to, if I were to see him walking down the street, I'd be like, hey, there's Thor. What's up, Thor? <laughs> you were great in Black Hat, Thor. <laughs> Yeah. Or were you? I don't know. Uh, no, one, no, one, no one knows. No one knows. <laughs> no one's seen it, actually. Uh, Chris Evans, who was someone I think a lot of people were skeptical about. Uh, like many people, I may have thought of him as the as Jake Weiler from Not Another Teen Movie. Uh, <laughs> because he is excellent in that movie. But I never saw him as the, the, uh, the flag-draped war propaganda hero yeah. that Marvel has made him into. And... Looking at him, I think he pulls the part well. I think he's not someone who has a great deal of acting range, but he has the presence. He has the kind of uh, the wherewithal to pull off that kind of a hero. Um, so I think he works. Like you mentioned Mark Ruffalo. Mark mm-hmm. Ruffalo definitely works. Yeah. He's kind of this one. Of, he's he's one of these kind of prestige actors who is almost you think overqualified for these movies that he's in. But it's nice to see someone with that kind of gravitas make an appearance. Uh, there's other characters I'm not too keen on. Well, I guess Scarlett Johansson has kind of done her thing. She doesn't really get the limelight. Yeah. But she, I guess, is fine. Um, I think getting to her, I think we should talk about Avengers. Okay. Because I think that is another thing Marvel can hang their hat on. 
Um, the, that film itself? The film itself, and not necessarily because I think it's a great film. I, I think it's, a, it's like I said, a serviceable mm, movie. I, I totally think it's, it does what it needs to, and it, it juggles a lot of plates. But the accomplishment of getting so many screen heroes into one film and pulling it off is uh, is a trophy that belongs on Marvel's case, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, because while it didn't bowl me over, it did provide some kind of sense that all of what we were this was leading to was worth it <laughs> yeah you know which uh, we should actually talk about that first sure i think i think we should go back let's wind the clocks back <laughs> maybe maybe not Four a years maybe not a year <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but uh so you have you see iron man it blows you away just in as a movie itself and then you know the credits end and what do you see you see samuel l jackson appear as Nick Fury talking to Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark about the Avengers Initiative, and the whole crowd goes crazy. You go crazy. I, I mean, I, I know I knew very little about the Avengers by that point, and I was excited about it. I'm like, yeah, let's do. It. You know, I was getting into it. I was there, and they used those films leading up to the Avengers to sort of build this tapestry and get you excited for it. It was foresight that I think had never been done before in film. I mean, very, very, very rarely. It was foresight, you could argue, was not obtainable. I mean, maybe Warner Brothers could have done it at that point because they had, I'm not sure when they actually had the DC rights uh, in, in its entirety. But to have this many properties that tie into each other had really hadn't been done. And they did weave it together into something that had a lot of forward momentum. And so you, they added Thor, they added Captain America, then finally they got into the Avengers where they added a couple more heroes. You, mm-hmm. got, you had Hawkeye into the mix who had kind of yeah. showed up briefly. And in Black other, in other Widow movies. and Hulk and, and all Black that. Widow yeah. and Hulk. And it's funny how I kind of just forget about Incredible Hulk like, altogether. Yeah. Like, he I, seems I don't, to be I don't, his own character. I don't, even, I don't even consider him part of Phase 1 for some yeah. reason because it's <laughs> so just strange. not a movie that's talked about right. at all, I think, for, for good reason. But, I mean, that shows it, it shows confidence in their product. It shows confidence in the fact that I mean, this was a this was an Iron Man movie that they weren't really sure if it was going to do well. I mean, you could assume that maybe it would based on Spider-Man's opening weekend in 2001 and Spider-Man 2. Even Spider-Man 3, as bad as it was and as, bad, and as negatively as people remember it, it still had a great opening weekend. It still made a billion dollars. Yeah, it still it made, it made a nice mint for them. Um, but you're looking at a, a relatively unknown director. John Favreau's known in more indie circles. I mean, he's respected for his work on in Swingers. He'd never really made a movie quite like this. And it was a pairing of an actor that maybe didn't have the worldwide appeal that he does now and a director that doesn't have really much appeal. And for them to go, let's give you this movie, but you're going to need to start setting up these pieces for this other movie four years from now. I mean, if it had blown, what if it had blown up in their faces? What if it hadn't made as much money, or what? It, it could have. It wouldn't have sunk them, obviously. No, but, of course not. But it wouldn't have sunk them, but it would have given them cause for concern, I think, because they were putting a lot of eggs in that basket. Yeah, uh, a, a huge budget, huge star, summer, banking on the total blockbuster crowd, and it would. We would have got more films, but I don't think we would see the behemoth that we do now so do you think it kind of all goes back to that i mean their confidence in the product and the people that they had working on the film i mean it's possible kind of what you're saying maybe if iron man doesn't get made or if iron man doesn't do well 
maybe the Avengers doesn't get made? It could be. I mean, because I don't think that if if, if if Avengers didn't do well, they Iron would, Man didn't do well. I mean, excuse me. Thank you. If yeah. Iron if if Iron Man hadn't done well, it would not have been such a clear cut run to the finish line. I think because Thor, I think, is a pretty average movie. Captain America is a little bit above average in my estimation, and that's what you have leading into the Avengers. They, right. Uh, Iron Man is the one is the golden goose of that whole bunch where you can hang your hat on it and say this was a great film that we made I think that that is is really the linchpin of their whole success in phase one now so is there any more points you wanted to mention about the Avengers itself I mean I, I we, we we both tend to agree I think that it's it, it's good I think Joss Whedon had a lot to do with Again, balancing all these plates, as you said, um, making the dialogue interesting and snappy and, and, and doing a good job of, of, of balancing uh, egos and characters and in actors and, you know, creating this giant movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, it's got the biggest opening weekend because it had so much behind it. But it's ultimately forgettable. I don't remember much I, I from do. it, you know. I, I, I do feel like it's forgettable. I think it has one great set piece. And it also has, I think, the greatest, the greatest moment out of any Marvel films to date, which is the long take that gets all the all the crew and all the gets all the heroes into one shot. It has them just wreaking havoc, and it not, and it's not only great because it's a virtuoso shot, but also because it serves the story. You know, it has them all in this one shot, and then it shows them working as a team, which is the point of the movie: is that they were all this, this group of individuals who are now ready to uh, stand side by side and save the planet. And so I think that Avengers gives us, I think Marvel's the biggest achievement to date, as well as for me, the best moment out of any of their films. But I do think on a whole, that movie is very lopsided, very uneven, and there's just not really a lot of stakes in it. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, we got into this a little bit in our top 10 show. I think one of the things I really wanted to explore in this talk was the, this idea of stakes and does do Marvel films have any? And is that the very nature of the beast? Is that a, an exact byproduct of Marvel Studios and the type of plan that they're unveiling to the public? So I guess that'd be my question for you is do these movies have stakes or are they a little more lightweight to your taste? I think they try to think that they do. I think that the, the seeds are there. Yeah, I think they, they, they try and create it with epic sci-fi or epic um visual visual grandeur yeah because you can see i mean there is a great moment in the avengers when tony stark catches someone playing galaga yeah and then the main villain of the movie has something very similar to galaga where the heavens open up and all these aliens start falling and they have to basically kill them before they can fall i mean that's really neat but i don't think there's ever really a time when you think Wow, New York City's not going to make it through this fight with the Avengers right. that we've been setting up so much, and I think that that comes down to it. Where and Loki honestly has very little to do with this climax. Yeah. He's kind of just perched up in uh, Stark's penthouse, and he gets his his own little physical moments. But ultimately, he's just there, kind of as like I said, a meddler. He's the guy who's just pulling the strings. Yeah. Whereas he's these... working, he's being worked through to try to get. To the, the Avengers, really. Yeah, he's hoping that this army of nameless and faceless CGI henchmen is going to do the job for him, which totally fits into his character, and I'm not knocking it for that. 
But if I really want to feel like the Avengers have a shot of not coming out of this, I think what the movie gives us is is incredibly lacking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and while it is fun, and I do think it's the greatest set piece of any of the films, it really is, on a purely spectacle level, awesome. It is really fun to watch. There's a lot of dynamic things going on. The whole team aspect is great. Um, yeah, they have that epic hero shot, like you said, that it has all of them. You know, it has uh, Hawkeye getting his bow ready mm-hmm. and the whole screaming, and they're all ready. And, you know, it, it does... And, and Joss Whedon allows the characters and allows the team to really finally come together, which I think was, going back to the movie itself, is my biggest issue is that it took them about an hour and 45 minutes to finally get to a point where they're all fighting at once. 45 of those minutes were in one location on a floating ship. On a ship. boat in the sky. And they're not friends for a lot of it. Yeah. And I don't need to see that. They're I pretty just... much just standing around for the entire second act. And they just need to... And then they're finally like, all right, and we're in action. Let's go. So that was my main issue with it. I don't like seeing the teammates bicker amongst each other. Because I just know how it's going to end up. There's going to be... It's almost gonna... like your main gr- grief with the Lone Ranger in a sense that yeah. we, we know where this is going. They're going to get together. They're going to save the day. Let's just yeah. get there and have some fun instead of prolonging the inevitable. Yeah. Well, that movie is garbage. But like any... But I, mean, I know. Yeah. yeah. No, that movie was garbage, but it's the, it's the same it's kind the of same thing. It's the same kind of idea. It's, like, it's, it's the same concept. We know where this is going. Stop fiddling with us. They still had fun with it, but I think there was a lot of missed opportunities to extend those moments as well mm. um i guess my my quibble with that going off of the avengers is that i think since then this whole uh world building and interweaving and this whatever they try to do to make all of their films together like a put together like a quilt a cohesive whole yeah i think it's gotten a little out of control i, I do too i think that i am perfectly fine with them setting this kind of thing up in this thing, this novel idea called the stinger, which they have introduced, which is where we see glimpses of the next movie post credits and some extra little scene that sometimes it's, it's substantial. And sometimes it's just kind of a comic relief kind of moment, but that is something that they have pretty much introduced. And I think that's the right place to sell what's coming next. Whereas they seem to be doing a lot more in the movies themselves now. It's kind of a wink-wink kind of moment. And I think that it's really... It has to be a stifling creative device. Because I, I don't know how you can tell a satisfying movie and be so focused on other movies that haven't happened yet. It's not exciting anymore. Mm-hmm. We know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Maybe beforehand we had an idea, oh, you know, I wonder what it's right. going to be. But the, the, the anticipation is, is, is gone. It, they don't even do it after the entire credits anymore. It's in the movie. It'll be in the movie, but then the directed by whomever will come up. They'll flash through the four stars that were in it. And then they'll fade to black and fade up. They don't even wait until the very end of the movie to do it. So I like to actually point to my experience watching Captain America, the first Avenger, the first Captain America film. Uh, I, I saw I, it was pretty well received with the crowd I watched it with. And however, that was also the movie that teased the Avengers uh, in the Stinger sequence. And there was a, about a 10 times bigger reaction to that than there was to the actual movie we just watched. And 
this is not even like working the Avengers into the movie yet, no. like, like like they're doing now. It's a completely separate piece that was filmed and three the, months later. This kind of ties into why I think a lot of these movies are are flimsy. I think they're so dependent on what's to come that they really forget to tell a satisfying, self-sustained story, which is actually why five of my favorite six films based on Marvel comic characters are not in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> um, let's run down the list. Blade Two, Awesome film. Action style wit. Really good complicated villain. Uh, Spider-Man 2. Wonderfully, wonderful villain. Yeah. Otto Octavius, Alfred Molina. Memorable. Uh, very, very memorable. Adds to the character of Peter Parker in very uh, satisfying ways. Uh, X2. Really good... Uh, kind of a Wolverine story inside inside of an X-Men story. It's by far the, the real, best of the early X-Men movies. Absolutely. Yeah. Real real dramatic stakes going on there. Uh, X-Men First Class. You know, you got this great uh, dynamic between Fassbender and McAvoy with allusions to Martin Luther King and Malcolm X putting the mutants in this civil rights-like struggle. Some real dramatic meat here, I think. And Number one, Howard the Duck. <laughs> number one, Howard the Duck. Number one, uh, Blade Trinity. <laughs> really? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> no, I, that would have shocked me. No, the last film, actually, I, I really do like is, is Hulk. Ang Lee's Hulk, which, which, you know, I said it. You I did. I, I it's think, out there in the world. You can't take it back. I do. I no. I think this is a good film. I, I think that the effects have been dated since, and there's one or two silly sequences in it, but I think that it goes for this father-son kind of thing between Eric Bana and Nick Nolte that has a lot there, and that's not even getting into the whole Hulk versus the U.S. government you know, subplot that's going on. and Which I think kind of turned some people <laughs> off. It was a little bit... He shot for the moon, I think, and I don't know if he quite got there. He went for, but, like... the, but this is still the type of movie you would expect from a director like Ang Lee, who's oh, yeah. who's this auteur who's going to give you as much substance he can, and it's not going to have action every ten minutes. It's going to really uh, between the lines. It's going to have a lot more there than I think your typical uh, popcorny fluff kind of movie. And do you then know, do you want to know what was a good stinger? Actually, was Ang Lee's. Uh, film in the higher series the bmw films with clive owen his movie there's a part where the driver played by clive owen gives a character a band-aid and it's a hulk band-aid and you're like oh yeah because he's making the hulk movie that's such a cool little like thing to get you excited about the hulk movie so right that is a pretty good stinger yeah uh and then iron man would be my my sixth favorite film i think that that does exist in its own universe because Avengers is, does not factor into the story at all. Until, not quite yet. Until until the stinger, and you can tell because it's a really satisfying movie. It has a clear three act structure. It has a great character arc for Tony Stark. Has a memorable villain with Jeff Bridges, Obadiah Stane, and you can really reduce it down to this really gloriously elegant, simple, beautiful synopsis, which is this is Tony Stark trying to save himself. And I feel like the the other movies are just they're grasping for this future mythology that doesn't exist yet. And the films are weakened in my eyes because of it. Yeah, they always seem to grab onto the next vine before they're even finished letting go of the other one, really. If really? that's the, to use the Tarzan metaphor. Um, but I think that also with this, this constant building and, and wanting to be excited about other things and not worrying about where you are now, it leaves them susceptible to plot holes. Just in, in, in just in a film aspect, sure. just just in their actual movies, I mean, in Iron Man three, certainly if 
if we're led to believe that all of this is happening in the same world and all of these heroes are in the same world where are the avengers where are they he's in trouble don't they have television can't they see this is the most one of the most famous men in the entire world and they can't come to his rescue and the explanation is just we don't have an explanation they're off doing other stuff just doing other stuff saving other things making other you know maybe we'll see right. it in the movie that they make and so it seems it makes the films like you said that makes them suffer then because they don't they don't oh, it just, oh, yeah I think actually all of my critiques do stem from this template that Marvel operates under and this this looming presence of a guy like like Kevin Feige who is always you get the feeling hovering over the shoulder or over who's directing and say oh you can do that nah you can't do that that's not going to look good mm-hmm. uh, we need to have, we need to have an action scene here it's never going to have the this the personal touch i think of of something like one of the, you know Brian Singer's X2 or any 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 Nolan Batman film or uh any you're not going to be able to bring any of these really solid auteurs into these movies and they even tried with Edgar Wright and we all know how that went yeah. they just they bounced him the hell out of there because he wasn't going to make a marvel movie he was going to make an Edgar Wright film that had marvel elements in it yeah and who did, you, who didn't you... want to see that i mean that's the only movie I was really excited yeah. for in their whole lineup. And he was making that film before even any of any 2005. Iron Man, before all of these. He movies. was attached to that movie in 2005. Yeah. I mean, and it, it really is a shame because it would have been great to have seen what he could have done with mm-hmm. it. Uh, just based on the early trailers that we've seen for Ant-Man, it seems like it probably could have used a little bit of Edgar Wright. A little bit of flair. Because it looks a little underwhelming. Um, but of course, who knows? Maybe they'll 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 take a one of their B characters and just spin it into complete gold. I have no idea. But um... yeah, but getting back to their template, I think that while their business model is financially brilliant, they have cornered the market on the superhero genre, and I think even codified it to where I th- I think we will always associate superhero movies with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, while it is financially brilliant, I think it's also creative anathema <laughs> because it's a big word it's a big word anathema it's anathema all right yeah i'll have to look that one up polysyllabic <laughs> <laughs> but as of right now their films extend out to 2019 which ends with the this another guardians of the galaxy like obscure property called the inhumans and they have made it very clear which films are going to come out which years all the way to 2019 and my my big critique of that is, where's the excitement? No, there's none. The excitement it, is in the day that it gets released for about a week it. for about a weekend. That's it. Because where where's the excitement? Where are the stakes when you know that these heroes are just coming back next year in the next movie? Which is honestly why I found Tony Stark's like faux death in Iron Man so insulting. Yeah, it's because Iron Man three came out like 10 months later and you know and they were really going for something really heavy and dramatic there and it just it just bombed miserably because anybody who has a passing knowledge of their release schedule knows that the next tony stark adventure is right around the corner yeah and and, and they're the uh, it's too much i mean that's just what it is it's 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 it's, a, it's to the point now where they're coming out almost on a conveyor belt yeah it's like it's ready it's ready ready made eager to serve two movie a year fluff almost you know like i don't feel like they're they're really not 
going for greatness with these movies. I think that for 150 million dollars, we deserve a lot more in the movies. Than well, what greatness we're to them, I think, is profitability. I don't think maybe greatness is the way you and I would define greatness, or perhaps other filmmakers working would define greatness. They they want it to be profitable. They want butts in the seats. And We've seen that it doesn't have to be that way. We can get, no, you can we, have it we, both ways. We can get that beautiful marriage between artist and art, artistry and commerce. Yeah, you know, plenty of films have done it. And I just I don't think the Marvel films are going for the gravitas that as movie going as a movie going public that we would hope for. And I think it ruins the surprise. And I'm all for checking movie news. I do it on a daily basis, on an hourly basis sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, staying up to date on things. Um, but I like that there's a little bit of mystery sometimes. You know, I don't. I, I've I've sworn off checking Rotten Tomatoes because I want to. I want to go in with a fresher idea. I don't want to go in with an expectation. No, absolutely. And so knowing that all of these films are happening, like you said, these characters maybe they're not going to be okay, or maybe they will be. Oh, they probably will be because we know this movie's coming in three more years. Mm-hmm. But. You know, I, I kind of long for the days of maybe knowing a movie was coming out by seeing a poster for it at the theater. That world is kind of doesn't. It's kind of gone, anymore. and I and I and I, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I get that. I mean, it's not a super I mean, relevant criticism. I mean, I, I remember that I didn't even know we were getting Matrix sequels until I saw the first trailer to the Matrix sequel, and it was one of the best experiences I had that year at the movies because I just had no idea. And it, it, we're, we, that is gone now. You're yeah, absolutely right. That, that, that's gone. But, I mean, how can you get excited about... Well, okay, Avengers Age of Ultron yeah. comes out the very year that we are discussing this right now. Yeah. And there are... Some... We're probably going to make the same point, I'm guessing. And there are two yeah. more Avengers films coming in, whatever, 2017, 2018. Yeah. Why do we care what happens to the Avengers in this movie? Even the title in the new <laughs> Avengers and the ones coming fe- soon. It's the Infinity War. <laughs> what is going to happen in the Age of Ultron That's that is going to s- even compare to the Infinity War? <laughs> yeah. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? I mean, we talk about stakes. There's nothing there. I mean, no, it's it- going to be like, all right, well, this is just going to feel like a setup to a bigger picture. And it's mm. going to feel like... The Hunger Games Part, Mockingjay Part One, or these, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. these, the, these books that split their film, their last films into two, Harry Potter, and yeah. and you know, they just are just completely just. Let's just get millions more dollars yeah. while getting people ready for what's really coming yeah. next year or whenever. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm a, I, you and I just have old school sensibilities, or we're just a little older than the generation that's currently absorbing all of these films. See, I don't think we are, though. We're not that much older. We're not, I, I think we're kind of right in the demo they're looking for. Mm-hmm. We have disposable income. We grew up with the characters, and I think you know it, it would still appeal to us. But here, here, here's the million-dollar question. Do you think Marvel movies right now have outstayed their welcome? I would say no. I'd say it's close. It's close. It's teetering on the edge. I, it's, I, it's not. I mean, and, and I struggle with this because I love movies. You and I both love movies. We're probably going to see these movies regardless. Just, we we, we want to know what people are talking, about. People are talking and, about. And there is, there is always the off chance that it could be a great film. Right. But I don't know if... I, I guess I don't have the same blind faith that they're going to be satisfying or good just by seeing a trailer or watching a clip or hearing a little bit about it. I go in a little bit more reserved rather than just like I watch something about it and I'm all in. I'm I'm on it whole hog. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, my question is, what are they building towards? 
they're building towards an infinite schedule of comic yeah. book films, and, and and that's why something like the X-Men films or the Batman, the recent Batman films, that's the advantage they truly have is they don't, is they don't have an open ending. These, well, X-Men might, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, that'll keep going, whatever. But imagine the novelty of being able to close a story out. And it shouldn't be a novelty. (laughs) That's part of a story is having an ending. A story has to have an ending. And, I have a feeling what we're going to get is along the way certain characters are going to have their ending. But they're going to be building towards this never-ending saga of two films a year. And they have an unlimited vault of stories to draw from. And I think I think the magic is waning with every passing year, honestly. Mm-hmm. I look less and less forward to any Marvel movie in a given year. Because I think that... There's all this world building. There's all this layering. I just can't imagine a, a time when I can't imagine a time that they're going to step back and just go, "Yep, we now we're done. It's done. We did it, guys. This is phase five of the Marvel universe. We put a cap on it. Here's the martini shot for the whole series. Yeah, so, like because you can see the first five movies were building towards the Avengers clearly, and okay. that was that, and that was exciting, and that worked because it had never been seen before. But now it's just they're just building, just kind of to build, and this is sort of our thing now, and we're releasing two or three movies a year, and da 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 da. And, and that's the like, thing. It doesn't that's... seem like it's going to build, and so there's no there's nothing for us to really look forward to. Like, oh wow, there's going to be this. Great ending, Dark Knight Rises, sort of capping off this trilogy. What's going to happen? Could our hero die? Right. <laughs> That's. <laughs> Go ahead. We we should talk about that. We should talk about that too because uh, I alluded to this in our top ten show, but Marvel definitely has a not only a death but a resurrection problem. Yeah. Uh, let's just run down the list of characters who are supposed to have died who have made a comeback. Let me let me single one out. Actually, sure. I have one specifically. Because I think it's kind of a microcosm and of a missed opportunity. In case you haven't guessed, we're getting into spoiler territory. Yes. If if you're one of the four people... Who hasn't seen one of these films. And are listening to this, (laughs) then you should probably just skip to the next section or just turn it off now. Mm -hmm. Um, But when Pepper Potts died in Iron Man 3, I'm putting died in quotes... I was excited, and I was I was beyond. I I was excited. It oh, it would have saved the movie for me because I think that is one of the worst Marvel films to date, and that was a moment for some real, just dramatic richness. Yeah, that I actually cared about what was happening in that exact moment. And then why don't you knock it down? Well, yeah. So they it, it would have been something powerful, emotional. It so, would it, it would have given some heft to. That action sequence, which to that point was just 97 Iron Man fly, Iron Man flying around and shooting things and blowing things up, which, I mean, we've seen that a hundred times. Um, but can you imagine if Tony Stark was struggling in the Avengers 2? I mean, imagine if, if you had a Tony Stark that was just broken, who the love of his life, he, th- this is a man who had everything, and his the love of his life was killed, and just the the idea of maybe we get a vengeful Tony Stark, we get a mopey Tony Stark maybe, or he would have some sort of arc throughout the rest of the Iron Man movie, but also going into mm-hmm. the next Avengers movie. I yeah. think that would have been a real, real great opportunity for a great moment, and they just missed it. They didn't even have the grace to bring her back in a future film. <laughs> they brought her back in the same sequence, but as Super Pepper. She suddenly has these powers now, and she helps him save it. It's it's a mess. It's it's yeah. it's something that 
really fell flat for me. And, and why it is quite frankly, the film that leaves the worst taste in my mouth is, is that was just too much for me. Like it was just something out of such a substandard movie, but it gave us some emotion and then it was extremely manipulative. It was. It didn't earn it. It didn't earn. I, I almost. You can also retroactively go. Well, you didn't really earn that. That feeling that I have of emptiness when mm-hmm. she died, just mm-hmm. by bringing her back as Super Pepper. Yeah. It, it's sort of like, well, okay. Well, I almost feel bad for feeling bad beforehand. You didn't. That I want. I shouldn't have felt that way. <laughs> yeah. Nick Fury, Winter Soldier, dies. Comes back. Bucky Barnes. Dies in Captain America, comes back as the villain. In That's the, se- the Winter Soldier. In the sequel, as the Winter Soldier. Agent Coulson dies in Avengers, comes back some... I'd, I'd never even really explored to figure out how they pulled this off. It comes back in the Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, he's a clone. They cloned him. Of course. Of course. Loki is supposed to have died in the Dark World, This this, this the sequel, but ends up being like a Loki... Lookalike in some way. <laughs> some, yeah. some Loki trickery. Groot was supposed to die at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, but no, they're replanting him at the end of it. That uh, was adorable, though. Oh, it was adorable. <laughs> but again, a little manipulative. True, uh, maybe, yeah. No one even had the... No one died at all in The Incredible Hulk or Thor. They didn't even try and go there in, that, in those two no, movies. forget it. Um, and I think that if they really want to win me back they got to start killing some characters because Which I just so strange that, that that's what you have to say to bring me back is like, you got to have, yeah, that guy's got to go. He's just got, someone has to go. And I, I really hope from what Joss Whedon has been saying about this Avengers sequel, that that starts to happen because he's not, he hasn't actually, he hasn't exactly been uh, conservative and killing off characters and uh, no. in his past properties. So I'm hoping that kind of changes there. Another thing that really, bums me out is and maybe this is just like a weird thing that everything that they seem to do is lauded just generally universally lauded you're talking about marvel i'm talking about marvel marvel studios every decision marvel makes seems to be a lot i'm talking about recently they acquired the rights to spider-man and maybe because spider-man has been a part of the avengers in the comic books yeah maybe leading into maybe spider-man being in these other avengers films do people really care about Spider-Man? It was dominated social media. That's all people were talking about. Oh, Marvel got Spider-Man back. Do we care? I mean, people haven't really gone to see the reboots, and they didn't really care in the last movie. I don't understand why all of a sudden people care just because it's Marvel. It's because they have this idea in their head that the Marvel films are going to be better than the reboots, and because Spider-Man has been this Avengers character. And, and, and granted, when... Uh, Captain America Civil War does come out, which is the movie he's supposed to get introduced in first. I'm going to be a little more curious about that one than normal for that very novelty. But at the end of the day, this isn't going to be Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. This is going to be a Spider-Man in the MCU. With a new actor. They're not even keeping the actor from... They're not even keeping Andrew Garfield from the Sony films. Which I don't know how that works because he was a terrific Spider-Man. He was not the problem with those reboots at all. No, And... I just mean let's pump the brakes a little bit. I, I think maybe we should just give it some time to... But this is the thing. These are the only movies that Marvel is ever going to make because these are the properties they own. They're a comic book studio. And so it gets back to your earlier question, what's the end game in this? Do they just keep making comic book films? Do we keep going to see them? Is there going to be these really long 10-movie arcs that they finally capitalize on? that have just been this slow building process. 
what are they going to do to really like what can they do anything that's going to be revolutionary in their terms in this next lineup of films? Like what could they do to really pull the rug out under us? I can't answer that because I don't think they're capable of it. I don't think I, I that think, they can bring us. I think they're anything. too, they're too safe. The movies are really safe and business wise. That is smart. I mean, you want to keep your characters around, especially characters that people like, uh, if we are in the interest of art and commerce kind of being bedfellows together, it doesn't really bode well for bringing satisfying movies in our near future. No, I, and while every decision, we're just going back to what I was saying about every decision that Marvel seems to make is just... Lauded. Lauded. It seems like every decision, it's funny that every decision that DC makes... <laughs> Seems to just be met with so much more derision. And more head scratching. Yeah, like Zack Snyder directing Superman, uh, Zack Snyder directing a Batman versus Superman, Ben Affleck being cast as Batman, <laughs> Zack just... Snyder directing Justice League. It's, yeah, it's like when, when did Zack Snyder become the guy you want to rest your billion dollar franchise who on? He, who does he know and who did he blow over at DC? <laughs> to, to I get mean, I, I get. I mean, I was I was pretty positive on Watchmen. I'd have to watch it again, ironically enough. Mm. But it was, I never saw a potential for him to be the new Christopher Nolan over at Warner Brothers. Yeah. Well, I think kind of wrapping up a little bit, there are moments to me that do stand out in these movies. And we're talking about how they're being, how they're possibly very empty, how they uh, are a little vacant, maybe some emotion. The parts that really stand out to me aren't those giant CGI whiz bang action. Yeah, they're not. The movie, the the parts that stand out to me, a few of them. I mean, Tony Stark introducing his weapon system in the desert first and foremost. Yeah, with everything whizzing past his head, Jericho. Yeah, and his and his speech and just his. Cadence and everything about it was just so cool and just so fun, and the music kicked in, it was fucking rocking. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Star Lord dancing through the opening credits right. in Guardians of the Galaxy. This is something I actually I did want to bring up. So thanks for getting us there. Yeah, yeah my favorite moments have been character moments. They haven't, other than that long take we were just talking about. Anything action just kind of falls by the wayside for me. It's not really what I remember in any of these. Yeah, they're littler in scale. They're smaller in scale in terms of. Uh, what's in the actual movie, mm-hmm. but there seem to be the most memorable. It's Always. that. It's yeah. It's Tony Stark in the desert. It's Tony Stark building his Iron Man suit for the first time and giving it a test flight. Yeah, you know, nineteen forties. <laughs> I really like the parts in the nineteen forties in Captain America. The relationship with Howard Stark and Peggy Carter and and Steve mm-hmm. Rogers and that yeah. whole triumvirate relationship there. I mean, that yeah. was great. Those were character driven moments that had nothing to do with CGI. They had yeah. nothing to do with blowing up 89 planets and having 100,000 Iron Men fly around. <laughs> and so... Tying in the Marvel Universe to the Nazis and National Socialism. and <laughs> I mean, because if, if you ever want to have any really good film in your franchise, we know you have to involve the Nazis. Nazis in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's that. It's Star-Lord dancing in the opening. Yeah. It's, it's all the... The Guardians sitting around talking about what percentage of a plan they have. Right. <laughs> these great little scripted moments, or maybe unscripted, who knows, uh, with the the quality of these actors. But those are the things that I really those are. It's the one or two minutes of of just thespian gold that they're able to wring out of these somehow, even with all this spectacle going on around them. Yeah, because that's where the joy is, and that's where 
the humor is that when, when there's humor in the film, when they're not taking themselves as crazy serious as they have, I mean, that's the joy we want to feel watching these films. And it shouldn't be little moments. I mean, it, it can be little moments like this, mm. but we should have those moments and expand them throughout the entire thing, which is why I love personally love Guardians. I mm. feel like that was the first and only Marvel movie that took the little moments, the joy and the fun that other films had in in pieces and I think created it and stretched it out into an entire movie itself. And I think that's a lot of credit to James Gunn. He is one of the best writer-directors that they've had taking care of this product. And I think that's partly a lot of him. That's He found the right cast and they found the right tempo and, and, and timber along with mm. each other. So for me, that's my favorite. And I know it does fit in still within mm. the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but... Mm. It's also, it's a new cast of actors. It's a new team. It's a new setting. That was definitely a good move, you're right, to kind of take it to that other place. And whereas with the rest of the films now, all we're really getting is this 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 revolving door of, okay, here's the next film that's coming out with the same actors doing the same things. Whereas mixing up with Guardians of the Galaxy was a great move. I'll give him that, even if I was just kind of okay with the movie as a whole. And I think it was interesting. I read something on Twitter. Somebody mentioned that uh, DC can't even get Superman right, and Marvel is breaking records with their bench players, which is, again, kind I'm, of I'm not surprised that the... DC can't get Superman right, because I've never even really liked Superman. No, I know. but I mean, that... <laughs> You think they would be able to, though. <laughs> just in the same way that we can do a whole show on Marvel, I think just the idea is that DC mm. is... the This whole idea of, of their Johnny-come-lately... Attitude with the Justice League, it it reeks very much of uh, just trying to do yeah. the same thing, really. Yeah. So just a couple more closing thoughts. I think if Marvel really does want to win someone like me back, who's seen a lot of movies and is really looking for something different now, they have to stop the blatant in movie tie-ins. That's just that has to end. Save it for the stingers. That's a good place to have it. Leave it at that. They really need to vary the styles and visions of their individual films. Right now they're kind of this 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 homogenous soup and we just always seem to know and seem to anticipate what we're going to get whenever another movie comes out. And this is kind of the I guess the Edgar Wright tragedy <laughs> we'll call cuz that's what we would have got if he would have if, if he would have helmed the movie. Yeah. And they just they need to fix the death problem. I need characters to die mm-hmm. if I'm to start carrying again. Uh and just they the films need to be self-sustaining stories. You know, they they can't be these movies that are on a just kind of on a crutch limping to the next movie and the promise of what that will hold. Because who knows? I mean, what if Ant-Man is a flop? And we were talking about it a little bit. I think it would do nothing but good if yeah. it was a flop. And I think, you know, it's possible that maybe they could reconsider their business model, maybe. Or they could reconsider the uh, cinematic aspects of it and making them try to stand on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I think it'll happen? Probably not, but... They really don't have any reason to change anything. They have no reason to change anything, nor do they have any reason for other people to not come out and see the movies, really. It's going to make a bunch of money. Um, you know, I mean, I, you can't even... I don't even know when The Avengers is coming out. I know it's coming out in early May, but I feel like I would have been all over that in 2012, even three, two, three years ago. Yeah. Now I'm like, I think it's like May 5th or 6th. <laughs> I can't really remember. I'm not sure. But it, it's all it's 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 gotten blurred. Yeah, <laughs> it's, well, gotten, Mar- it's gotten blurred and inconsequential. Marvel, we love you. We've loved you in the past, but 
we need you to do better. <laughs> we need you to wow us again yes. because it's getting kind of stale. It's not you can't just lift a, a city up and try to explode it before we can you know finally find try to find the enjoyment in that. You need to have something there to go behind it a little bit. So Marvel, we love you, but. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. Get your shit straight, man. So So with those jaded, slightly cynical, but hope but hopefully optimistic hopefully optimistic opinions. We want it to be hopeful. We want to enjoy these movies again. I'm Clayton Shank. I'm Ryan McCarran. That's the McShank Podcast. <laughs>